Welcome to Box Out Banter. My name is Chris Okamore. Joining me as always, Mr. Jordan Christmas. Jordan, we are in round two of the NBA playoffs. We missed a couple weeks. Yeah, I know. But, a, lot uh, of, a lot of stuff happened since the uh, last B.O.B. episode. Didn't get to take my victory lap <clears throat> on the Bucks. Just shellacking Miami. Um, yeah. Didn't. So, I mean, is there any... Obviously, I want to talk Lakers, but there, there's is there any big takeaways that you have from the first round so far? Because uh, we, we're done with the first round. We just finished the first round like yesterday. Uh, the big takeaway from the first round is, uh, I guess, uh, the overarching thing that I have is, I mean, it's it's narr- it's narrative based, so forgive me for it, but I do like a good story as basketball tends to create. But all the young guys establishing themselves. Um, Luka Doncic, obviously, uh, for the second straight year, is dominated the Clippers and had an all-time great series. Had a really good Game Seven, an all uh, iconic Game Seven, basically. Um, Trey Young, Devin Booker, Donovan Mitchell, John Morant. Like, it just—it's a reminder that the league is in good hands. Like, we got to see a lot of young stars make an impression on the broader national audience and that was fun to see and also as a longtime Devin Book stockholder Devin Booker stockholder I should say that game six was very was very very cathartic for me because yes I have been a big Devin Booker fan for a long time I'm a fan of all of these young players and I'm telling you it just goes to show if you put a if you put a proper team around a very talented player you could you could have some success and yeah the it, the young generation's taking over though the first finals in a decade basically without lebron and steph which is wild to think about yeah that's absolutely insane so the thing that i do want to bring up and and this does go kind of back to the Devin booker thing i so oh, obviously yes. all... are you going to make your excuses for your lakers i'm not cuz i again we deserve to lose uh, we were injured beyond belief. Like I couldn't. Yes, they were guys, guys hopping were. around. Watching AD try to run in that game six was painful. Um, but so watching the game six and watching Devin Booker, and I know we've talked about this before. I this even more even more solidified my answer here. I cannot believe that people still think Donovan Mitchell is better than Devin Booker. <laughs> that was i that don't was, understand that was your take yeah i mean yeah i've always been a Do- i've always been a devin booker over donovan mitchell guy but donovan mitchell's been incredible too so i'm not going to uh i'm not going to uh prop up devin booker here to bring down mitchell but yes well, devin, devin it, booker it was, is better than donovan mitchell and he was a monster Dude, he was hitting shots, and again, part of it's the rhythm thing because he hit a lot of shots early. But man, he was hitting some shots with perfect defense, and you just can't. There's nothing you can do other than salute a guy. Yep, he is one of the, he is one of those. You just you, it's uh, the old good old Mark Jackson. Good offense beats bad defense any day of the week, and Devin Booker kind of personifies that. I mean, he's six six, and he can elevate anywhere on the floor he wants. It's weird that he's not a better pull a uh, pull up 
uh, three-point shooter, not a better better one than I thought he sh- think he should be, considering he came out of the draft known as sh- for being a shooter. But um, when he get when all three levels of the court are unlocked like that for him, he's pretty much unstoppable, and uh, really that that bore out true. But it's a shame we didn't. I made a mistake calling Lakers in five only because of the fact that um, I. Maybe for all of my time watching the Suns this season, and I have enjoyed this Suns season quite a bit, um, I guess I shouldn't have estimated the fight that they would have had had they had a healthy yeah. Chris Paul too. I mean, look, it would have been a six or seven game series. I still, I still think a fully healthy Lakers team would beat this Suns team. But you play the schedule that's in front of you, and the Lakers yeah. still had chances. I think even and even 100%. With, and even without AD, like Dennis Schroeder played like absolute garbage i mean west uh frank vogel had some weird you couldn't really you could tell frank vogel didn't have his full rotation figured out yet like he was you know he had andre drummond starting um what was it he andre drummond started for most of the series and then game six he finally decided to bring in gasol and drummond played no minutes i think game five drummond started but then didn't play at all in the second half um wesley matthews i thought came in um, two games too late in the series. I think he started playing in game three. Um, yeah, he came in too late in my opinion as well. Yeah, it, it was just, it was a bunch of weird stuff. Oh, and I mean, look, for all the stuff we've praised Kuzma for this year, for changing himself and stuff oh like that. Oh my God, he's, he's an absolute he, trash. He's, he, was, he's been a, he's, he was a bad basketball player in that playoff series. And um, I guess it's only right. I guess it's only a blessing in disguise that you guys are g- giving him ten million a year because, man, he did not play any good defense and he could not knock a three pointer down. And if those are the, if those are the yeah. only two things he's known thing, to do, his hustle is, plays like, really don't matter that much. I was I was laughing because the everyone's like, "There's no good takeaways about the series." We're you know we're just injured, and I was like, "No, the good takeaway about the series is that we didn't sign Dennis through to that eighty-four million dollar extension." No, he decla- he denied it. You yeah. it, it, you like, guys offered it to him. You guys were close. Yeah. No, no, Dennis Schroeder was like, no, "Ooh, that's no. the only that's the only bright side is that that deal's not signed." Yep, yep. That you you, you so, should be you thanking Schroeder's agent for whatever yeah. information so, I mean, he was feeding him. For me, and again, I know it sounds like an excuse because I'm a Laker fan, but like to me, and like you're bringing up. Look, the Lakers had their chances. They were injured beyond belief. They Some of them played terribly. And the Suns shot historically from the three-point line and from the field in those last few games. Yeah. So, you know, yeah. I'm not upset about it. The The dice roll as they will. I still think that, you know, in a, in, a, in a different universe where everyone's fully healthy, I still think the Lakers take this series. And I don't think – because Laker fans are very um, extremist. And so everyone's trying to like blow it up, and like it's they're not that bad, guys. Like, well, this is the and, gift and the curse with LeBron too. Like, yeah. if there's a team built around LeBron and said sidekick star second option, um, once you lose those two pieces, your team is kind of yeah, your team yeah. is kind of five hundred or below five hundred, pretty much. Yeah, uh, and I'm I'm proud of the Lakers for the season that they had. Because look, we lost LeBron and AD for months and we were above five hundred with just our kind of bits and pieces, which is impressive to me. Um, I just I just love Jay Crowder's salsa doing the salsa dance all over the Lakers bench and yeah, taking pot shots at LeBron because LeBron was having his uh after game three it really looked like okay the Lakers are going to uh you know turn this up and then game yeah. four 
Uh, you guys came out flat in that first half, even with Anthony Davis healthy out there before the groin injury. Chris Paul. Well, look, we were up. We were up ten at halftime before AD went down. No, you guys were. I'm gonna look. No, we're up ten. I'm gonna look this up because I remember you guys were. I remember. Um, let me see. This is a great podcast scene. All good. Yeah, it's a it's a fantastic podcasting. But yeah, game four we were up ten. No, uh, no, I'm looking at it right now. You get uh, the Suns had a uh, the Suns had a four point lead heading into halftime. Okay, well, at at a point in the first half, we were up ten. Yeah, yeah. Before um, he went down, we were up ten. Yeah, it was yeah, and um, even even before AD went down, I didn't like the way I stilled it. Even though it was a even though you guys had a lead, I still wasn't a fan, I guess, of the way you guys were playing, even though um, That's fair. Um, even though you guys did gain a lead in that half. And also, Chris Paul looked a lot more healthier in game four. That was probably the healthiest he looked to be out of all the games, to be honest. And um, DeAndre Ayton, I have to give him credit, too, because in that third quarter of that uh, – the third quarter of that game four specifically – he was he was a man amongst boys. I remember he he had a few plays where he was moving LeBron around in the post when he was doing rim runs. Um, he there was one play in particular where he moved he moved Drummond out of the way when he had an and one, um, and Drummond was sliding back into the stanchion. Like I this this series was real. I just I love this series because I love DeAndre Ayton from college i love Dev- devin booker i love the cp3 move um and oh, then mikhail bridges and jay crowder they finally found their three point shots in the last two games of the series so um so so i know both of us have been on the sun's bandwagon since the beginning of the season yes uh i am i am all in on the sun's uh nba finals run here Oh, that's that's interesting. We're we're going to talk it a bit about now that LeBron and in the uh, the the pillars of the league, the LeBron vacuum. Yeah, the LeBron vacuum and then the other pillars of the league are basically gone. Uh, there could there's going to be a new champion, like somebody that's yeah. not that hasn't won before. Um, we should move on to the second round because the first round is. Uh, that was just my main takeaway from the first round is that the young kids are establishing themselves as, yes. uh, you know, the, the, some of the best players in the world. And I think that is really cool and to some see. some weird no-shows, too. Some weird, some odd no-shows. Yeah. With, like, Ju- the Julius Randle one was the most fascinating one to me because he was the most consistent, to me, the most consistent player all season. He didn't miss a game. Every He showed up almost every game. He never had a, a game where I watched and I went, man, he's was it, playing was terrible. Was it shocking that he got shut down, though? No, I wasn't shocking to me. He came back down to earth. But it was such a weird thing for him to have this season where he is so consistent all yeah. year. And then just not shit the bed, but just kind of like not show up. I just, uh, yeah. Um, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. I, again, it's not surprising because this is this is the Randall I expected to see yeah. this season. Yeah, but. But it it was weird for him to like have this such just this historic career year, where as much as the it, uh, it, it wasn't so much like him breaking out and having huge games, but it was so much of like man, he's so consistent. Yeah, and the Knicks in the Knicks, you know, doing way better than expected. Kind of, I think everybody got swept up in it, and I think I say that because you know, as much as I had fun watching, you know, 
everybody get excited about the Knicks and stuff like that and watching Julius Randle improve, seeing R.J. Barrett take a step forward, etc. The Knicks weren't that good offensively. As a matter of fact, it, it was a lot like Tom Thibodeau's offenses back in, you know, Minnesota and Chicago where I affectionately called it the clogged toilet offense. And <laughs> it was it's it that it was basically that because it was one of those things where they really didn't have any shot creators from the perimeter. Um, when it came down to the end of the series, the Knicks had no shot creation from the perimeter outside of Derrick Rose and Julius Randle, but you could load up on Julius Randle and have the others beat you because the Knicks really don't have any dynamic offensive players. And I think there were some, there were some points where the Knicks could have attacked Trey young. Um, yeah, but, the Knicks really don't have the offensive personnel to target anybody like that. So I also understand why you, it looked like they didn't attack Trey Young a lot because you're really not going – really the Knicks' offensive adjustment throughout that series was starting Derrick Rose and running a Julius Randle, Derrick Rose pick and roll to kind of spring Randle free throughout the series. And if that is your ace in the whole offensive adjustment, you were kind of screwed from the beginning. And that's, and that's why like after – I think what was it before we did the pod we did before the playoffs like I was talking about how hype I was for this series the more I thought about it I ended up picking Hawks in six even though everybody was picking the Knicks because the Hawks just had more talent and yeah they, I think it goes back to it goes back to the thing of that it's a criticism that most people have of Tibbs's teams where they play hard and he gets them to play hard and hustle and all year but once you get to the but playoffs everyone does once you get to the playoffs, everyone's hustling and everyone's playing hard you so just got to score at that point. You got to find yeah. a way to get clever offense going. And the Knicks, that the Knicks don't have. No. And Tibbs can't provide that. Right, right. So, um, yeah. But, okay, one more first round series because this is this, this is something, one, I'm, I'm invested in because I, I love Paul George and Kawhi Leonard, but also right. you're a, you are a Lakers fan and a resident <laughs> Clippers hater and Paul George hater. So I want to know what your thought process was when the Clipper, and this is the, this was the, this was the uh, shame of not doing a pod last week because the Clippers were down 0-2 when, when uh, we would have usually recorded. Yeah. And I know, I know at least, I know at least maybe not on my end, but I know there would have been some, you know, oh, some, I would have uh, came in hot. you would have been crip walking on the clips grave on the clips. I would have came in hot. You would have came so, in look, hot so, with some stuff. Uh, so, 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 so to me, this series comes down to like three factors. Let's say three factors. One, Luca needs more help. Okay. Yes. That, that one's apparent. Yes. Cause Luke, like, Luke, the, when Luke is in the game, so the Mavericks, the Clippers can't stop him, and their their offense flows and it works and it it gels. And like I think the Mavericks might have won every quarter where Luca played the entire quarter. Like it it was very apparent that Luca mm -hmm. being in the game completely changes the dynamic of that game. But they just couldn't they couldn't do anything without him, and so that that was just the issue. Yep. Um, and then the secondary one was. Kawhi Leonard is a clutch ass motherfucker. <laughs> Whoo man, and that that game six was an all time. That was an all time great game from Kawhi Leonard, and he's had a absolutely. few in his career. I'll, I will say, like that was 
He guard that was uh that was twenty seventeen. That was vintage Kawhi. That was twenty seventeen Kawhi Leonard. He guarded Luke on the other end. He caused absolute hell on the defensive end, and he yes. came up with clutch ass baskets at the on the offensive end. He was hitting step back threes. Every he get Luke on a switch sometimes, and he'd just be like, "All right, it's time to cook you." And yeah, I still do have concerns about him offensively, just because you can tell that he doesn't have the lift. And I know we've talked, we've harped on this a ton, but I don't he, know. The last two games, he looked good. Like the whip was did. there and everything. He had put back dunks. He got a few. He had a few posters. In I the have series. a concern. I have a concern, dude. If they're doing this to beat the Mavericks, like again, Luca's amazing and special, and Luca to me is the best player in the series. But eh, I don't. I thought Kawhi was by the end of it. By the end of it, I th- I think like overall, I think I would take Luca still. But the last two games, I would definitely take like Kawhi stepped up in a big way. But to me, it's a thing where if you're using this much energy to beat the Mavericks, who don't have the amount of talent and don't aren't you know they they aren't they aren't a good team. They aren't a they're they have Luca, but they aren't a great team. And so now, when you say now you're going against the Nuggets. Now you're going against the Suns potentially or the Jazz. Well, they're they're going to play the Jazz in the second round. Oh yeah, they're, they're, sorry, playing the Jazz, and then now you're playing against the, you know, either the Nuggets or the Suns. Like there is, like now you're starting to hit teams with actual, like a lot of talent and scheme, where it's not just dependent on one player that you can't stop. And so that's where I get concerned. And I don't like the lack, the lack of production from the Clippers guards and bigs. Like yes, Paul George and Kawhi are playing great. But man, I don't know what else is going yeah. on with their team, and I just don't. I don't know what you're gonna do forward. I, I will give them a ton of credit that they are way more mentally resilient than they were last year. Yeah, um, that. I mean, coming back, coming back down I from O two when you lost both of your home games. That's yeah. That's mentally tough. I did not expect the clip. I thought the Clippers would get one of those games. I did not expect them to tie the series coming out of Dallas. Yes. Actually, I Absolutely. didn't expect the home team not winning until game seven. Anyway, that series was weird as hell, but you know, yeah. that's how it goes. But yeah, uh, again, I'm, I'm, I'm proud. I will say I'm proud of the Clippers for coming out and pulling this one out. And like, I totally unexpected from my end, but I'm still, I still don't believe in them as a team to make it to the finals and to win the finals. I think there. I think you could say. I think you could make the case for all four of these teams to get out of the finals. I think the big boogeyman out of the West is gone, and also, weirdly enough, Luca does have. He doesn't have much help around him, but he does have players around him that make the system that Luca runs. Uh, yeah, you know, okay. efficient. Like they have. They I mean, have yeah. constant. They have shooters around him. They have constant. Uh, you know. Uh. Dorian Finney-Smith and Tim Hardaway Jr. were fantastic in this series. Um, Dorian Finney-Smith, yeah, Tim Hardaway Jr. He he fade. Tim Hardaway Jr. faded towards the end, but I thought Dorian Finney-Smith. He I think he should be highlighted in this series. I thought he had yes. great. I thought he had great two-way impact. I didn't think he would keep up his shooting, and in Game Seven, he was canning threes left and right and playing great defense. Yeah. Um, and but, he had a great game five. But Amazing weirdly game. enough, I think actually the Clippers' biggest challenge is out of the way because Luka Doncic has cemented himself as a – well, he was already a bona fide superstar, but, I mean, the guy has had two all-time great playoff series in a row, and that's 
I think that's pretty easily the best player the Clippers are gonna. Well, unless Jokic comes out of the uh, out of the uh, Sun series, but I I just think in terms of a perimeter hellion like Luka Doncic, I think the Clippers have faced the best that they could face, and I actually think they match up really well against Utah. And I I will give Utah credit too. They did what first seeds are supposed to do, you know, smash the inferior team. Um, they really just lost that first game against the Grizzlies because Donovan Mitchell didn't play. But as soon as Mitchell came back, he started wrecking havoc, and the Jazz are looking like the Jazz that we saw in the regular season. I'm actually excited for this series. Um, who's yeah. gonna guard? Again. Who, who's gonna guard Mitchell? Who's going? Who? Uh, I think your concern about uh, you know where I think the concern that you have about where else are the Clippers going to get production from. I think one of the things that I noticed towards the end of the Mavs Clippers series was that Ty Lue finally figured out his rotation. I think he's going to start Batum and start Reggie Jackson. I think Pat Beverly's out of the rotation for good. Um, I also think Terrence Mann has solidified himself in the rotation. He should have been in the rotation to me at the beginning of the series, but that's neither here nor there. But I thought he solidified himself in the rotation. I think Ty Lue has finally come down to an eight man rotation and at least he figured out his rotation. Unlike some other coach that we will talk about soon that happens to coach my favorite team. But, um, I think Ty Lue has figured out the guys he's trusted finally. And I think even if, you know, they still have some flaws, I think every other one, I think every single one of these teams has a flaw. I think Phoenix beyond Aiton, lacks depth to defend Jokic because I think you need two or three guys to def- to defend that guy. Um, also, Chris Paul's still hurt. I still don't think his shoulder is 100% at all. Uh, the Nuggets, really, their guard depth, if you look at it, it's it's, it's rough. It's rough. Um, you have to depend on Monty Morris for – and I love Monty Morris. He's a solid point guard, but you're asking him to score at a higher clip than you want. You're playing Faku Campazo a lot more minutes than you probably want Faku to. Campazzo. Yeah, I know. Hey, it's a, it's a great to be game. fair, I do like the the old European vet point guards that we get. Every that are rookies, while. Pablo Prigioni. Yeah. <laughs> I love I, – I like them. Yeah, Marcelo Huertes, you know. Yeah, Marcelo Huertes, oh my god. Where we bring it back to where your flashback into 2014, the 2014, yeah. 2013 I'm, Lakers. I, I like them. The dark I, I do like I do like when the vet the vet Euros come in as rookies. Yeah. I do enjoy it. Do yeah, enjoy it. especially because you you know they have a chip on their shoulder cuz they oh, stayed yeah. in the league whatever way possible. Like he was annoying the hell out of Damian Lillard and uh CJ McCollum and stuff like that. But then you look at the Jazz. I think the Jazz are the Jazz probably, you know, honestly would be favored in this series because right now they are the most complete – Him, them and the Clippers are the most complete team. But I think – I honestly think um, either one of these teams could come out of the West. Yeah, I, for, for me, again, I'm, I'm taking the Suns just because I trust Chris Ball so much, like implicitly, like over overreactedly so. Um, But, yeah, I, I, I think you're right. I think overall everyone has an equal shot. This is – I mean, Jokic could literally carry the Nuggets to the finals. Yeah. Like, have you seen his numbers? Like, (laughs) Dude, the thing is, have you noticed that Aaron Gordon's starting to come on? Yeah. Yep. He's been – he's well, yeah, on the offensive end, he's been coming along uh, as the series, as the Blazers-Nuggets series went along. Um, I think people just need to realize that Jokic does not look like, you know – 
I really do think it's an optics thing with Jokic because like he should be the MVP. And yes, I am a. I would. I think fully. I think health. You know, health forbidding. I would take Joel Embiid over Nikola Jokic, but I love Jokic. Like he's been one of my favorite players to watch for years, and I think he is absolutely. He is on a all-time great trajectory. I mean, the guy yes. averages twenty-six, eleven, and seven in the playoffs on fifty, forty, ninety. Like you, you realize how ridiculous that is. But because he's unassuming, because he's slow, and because you know he's white, white. everybody. Everybody will assume that, you know, he doesn't look oh, like the typical MVP. Do, oh, Chris Paul should be wanna, the MVP. I do want to push back on, I do push back on this, and I, I want to say this publicly because I've, I've, I've tweeted about it, and I want to say it here, and you'll agree with me 100%. We need to stop saying that Luka's unathletic. Oh, you see Jeff Van Gundy almost, like, yell at Mark Jackson the second time. Mark Jackson said that Luka wasn't – wasn't uh, uh, that Luca didn't beat somebody off the dribble with a quick move. Jeff Van Gundy was like, "No, that was a quick move. There was burst, and he beat him to the rim." Yeah. And Mark Jackson was kind of laughing, but I think the second time Jeff called him out on it, I think he was legitimately mad at Mark. He was like, and yeah. Jeff said the quiet part out loud on the broadcast. He's like, "Don't mistake uh, whiteness for lack of quickness, or whatever." <laughs> He's right. Yeah, he's one hundred percent right. Yeah, Luca. The thing is, like, watch Luke. Like, Luca doesn't have the athleticism in terms of the speed, like the flat end speed or acceleration, or the vert. But like, he's quick. He has the strength, the body control, the the slitheriness. Yeah, like, his first step is, is his first step is quick. And also, I would like to see. I don't know what the athletic numbers are for basketball players, the spark numbers and whatnot, but um. I would like to see what percentile Luka Doncic is in in terms of deacceleration because I remember Harden was like in the top 99th percentile in terms of just stopping faster yeah. than somebody like that's everything about like coordination whatever like that's athleticism it might not be the traditional athleticism we think about but Luka's 100%. absolutely fast and also Luka has like that dad strength like yeah he has a wide Luka's body people. as soon as Straight up stunning people to the rim. As soon as he gets you on his hip, like it's over. <laughs> like now, and the weird, the crazy thing about Luca is, out of nowhere this season, he's added a post game. He's added an in between scoring game. Like the guy is twenty two. It's scary. It's scary. Man. The league is in a good place, man. The league is in a good place. Uh, speaking, let's let's move on to um another one of the young stars that is showing out and have been infinitely more watchable since Nate McMillan took over the Atlanta Hawks um unfortunately came into Philly's house yesterday beat the Sixers 128 to 124 so so here before so we are on a bit of a time crunch today yes uh just so you guys know uh I'm in Vegas with doing a family thing so I need to be there be there but I do want to get Mr. George Christmas before before we mention the Hawks at all I want to give you some time (laughs) To talk about Doc Rivers and what happened in that game yesterday. That was by far Doc Rivers' worst coach game of the season. <laughs> it's not even close. Like, I don't get it. Like, you put in your bench when the team is down, what was it, eight, eight, eight or ten? You put it in all bench lineup. Keep in mind. This was a thing Doc this is a Doc Rivers thing. He has a method, he sticks to it, and 
you know, by the playoffs, everybody, every Sixer fan, every reporter, every writer, anybody who watches this team or watches a fair amount of games on the Sixers, everybody was saying, there's no way you can't play an all-bench lineup in the playoffs. It's, there's no way you could play an all-bench lineup in the playoffs. Why isn't Ben Simmons guarding the best player? Why is he roaming around playing free safety when the perimeter player's absolutely frying us? All these tiny little questions we had with Doc. Good coach. I just want to say, I think he's a good coach. Is he overrated? Yes. Is he a Hall of Fame coach? Yes, hey, by, by you know, 10-year hey. and the fact that he's a champion. But Jordan? He coached the 08 Celtics. Do you understand the, what that means? The 08 Celtics. Still undefeated when that starting lineup's fully healthy, by the way. <laughs> the 08 Celtics. But come to my surprise, <laughs> when an all-bench lineup of Dwight Howard, Tyrese Maxey, George Hill, Matisse Thibel, and Furkan Korkmaz oh my God. comes in. or Yeah, George. it was George Hill, Tyrese Maxey, Matisse Thibel, Dwight Howard, and uh, the Corkster, all in there, and the Hawks go on a seventeen to nothing run with their all bench unit, which by the way is better because they have a little bit more ta- scoring talent. I would say not talent in general, but more scoring prowess. Doc Rivers just lets this seventeen to nothing run happen until it gets to twenty, so that was crazy. At this point in the second quarter, Trey Young is frying us. He's either getting the floater game going, he's lobbing it up to Capella. We're not. Danny Green was on Trey Young for 19 of his 25 second half points. Would not put Simmons on him. We were not trapping Trey Young. We were doing drop coverage, which everybody was like, "You can't, you cannot do drop coverage against Trey Young." The Knicks showed that in the last series. You cannot do drop coverage against Trey Young, and we did that. And then, come to my surprise again, at least with for all the complaining Sixer fans had about Brett Brown, at least Brett Brown had some modern, you know, crutches. He staggered his star players. How do you not stagger one of <clears throat> How do you not stagger one of Simmons and Bede or Harris with the bench unit? There is no way an all-bench unit should be out there in the second round of the playoffs. This is not the Wizards. These are the Hawks. They have been a good team since the All-Star break. Since Nate McMillan took over, they have been a legit good team and a scary-ass offense. And then you wait until the second half to put your best player, your defensive player of the year caliber player, and Matisse Thibel on Trey Young, and that finally slowed things down, and we almost came back in the end. So I think there's a lot of stuff to build on. I'm just mad that we gave away this game because of some very obvious stuff. The bench was a minus 14. And look at the starters plus minuses. Everybody was a plus 10 or higher. A minus 14 in a four-point loss. Killer. Like, you, I can't believe Doc Rivers did that. I'm just heated. And I, we wasted a good Joel Embiid game. Like, that, that injury... Uh, that, that was one of the reasons we didn't do the podcast. I wanted to see the Sixers, you know, I wanted to see if the Sixers would pass a test in the last series. If you're a champion, you're the better team. If you think you're a championship contender and you're the better team, sweep the, sweep the wizards. And then the injury happened because I can't never have nice things. And now I don't even know what to think of the Sixers championship odds because it's a shame that what this with Joel Embiid's injury and what he's playing through with LeBron out now, this was the most wide open championship that I can remember. 
And I think a healthy Joel Embiid absolutely gives us a legit shot at that chance. And I don't know how he's playing through a slight meniscus tear. Um, I'm scared. He's he's not he's not he's playing at full throttle. Like he was careful at some points yesterday, but he was he was playing at full throttle, still jumping and scaring the hell out of me. I I think the Sixers should easily win the series. No excuse if they don't get to the conference finals, but the injury is what's scaring me. And also, my fears about Doc Rivers as a coach in the playoffs cropped up. So, yeah, uh, I'm all, <laughs> yeah, I, uh, I have similar concerns about he went uh, 11 Coach deep Bud. in a playoff game. 11 deep. He put in Shake Milton for a random 43 seconds in the fourth quarter. What did Shake Milton do? Travel, turnover, score on the other end. Yeah. And Shake I, uh, Milton got yanked. <laughs> Yeah, I have I have same concerns about Coach Bud, and we've talked about Coach Bud. Oh, Coach Bud's um, game one stuff that was all that was a doozy. And Doc Rivers was like, "Here, let me one up you." Yeah, I. Both of them are having the same issue. Where like, I don't know why your bet your bench should not be this deep in the playoffs. I'm sorry. No, like I don't your, care how deep your, you think your bench your team is. <laughs> yeah, I it's uh. Yeah, it's a, uh, it's it's just a headache to kind of kind of wrap your head around and be like i don't know i don't know why coach bud made such a point to like keep his guys fresh for the playoffs all season and then now you refuse his guys fresh for the series (laughs) yeah like Giannis played 35 minutes in game one against the nets like that should joel Embiid played 38 minutes on a torn meniscus i saw a few bucks fans on twitter they were tweeting the same thing they were like joel Embiid just played 38 minutes on a torn meniscus and bud couldn't find 38 minutes for like Kawhi leonard and paul george played over 42 minutes in game six and game seven yeah (laughs) like these are the playoffs like there should be no 11-man rotations you this is my other fear with Doc Rivers. The lack of creativity with lineups, man. We could have so many good lineups or like to put around Ben to bolster the bench unit. Like we could surround Ben at the, we could put Ben at the five and surround him with three or four guards because with Atlanta's personnel, we could kind of get away with that. Like Dwight Howard should not play a minute in this series unless it's an absolute emergency. Like Doc just thought the same rotation would work. And this was my concern. Everybody called this shit. Like I called I called this shit. Beat writers called it. Sixer fans called it. Like you can't go in with an all bench lineup. And what does Doc do? Guess what? Check this out. <laughs> all bench unit. Hold, hold my beer. The one more thing. The epitome of that all bench unit. There was a possession in the uh, in the uh, second quarter, the beginning of the second quarter, where the Hawks were going on their run. You can hear the angst in the Philly crowd, which was at full capacity, which was great to hear. Um, Dwight Howard gets the rebound off the Hawks miss. Everybody else is running up the court while Dwight is stuck with the ball. And he ends up just, you know, instinctively and casually throwing the ball towards Matisse Thibel, who is already running up the court, and the ball bounces off of Matisse's ass out of bounds, and it's Hawks ball. Uh. That that was how the game went. Also, the starters turned it over a lot, but again, the starters dominated when the Hawks starters were in. Like, there's no more bench lineups. Just clean this up. Yeah. But, yeah. What, uh, what do you – so, what do you What do you think about uh, – what do you think about that? Should – I know this is, you know, the first time the Sixers are testing the waters as a true contender. I think the other years, 
in the Simmons and Bede era, like we were the surprise contender, but now we're like firmly we have expectations of contender status, right? Like I, I think, think I think if there's a lot. What's up? I think the injury to Embiid hurts you guys a lot. I know. Well, yeah, obviously that that's the thing that was murky, um, right? Is um, I don't know what Embiid's injury is. I thought, or I know what it is, but I don't know how he's going to look. I thought he looked good yesterday. Um, I thought he was his dominant self, but there's always like the fear of him tearing it more at seven feet and two hundred and eighty pounds. But like. I, should I be worried about this game one loss? I mean, if this is the medal of a championship contender, a championship team should win on the road, right? Like, this yeah. is a just – I know we shouldn't overreact to game ones, but – and there's some stuff to build towards game two, but I don't know. Um, what what are you thinking when you watch this series as an outsider perspective? So, <laughs> from an outsider perspective, I don't even think this should be close. I yeah, think I picked Thompson think, five with the healthy Embiid and Sixers and yeah, seven I think, with, without him. I think him. the Sixers are the far better team. I think they match up far better. I think when you have their, when you look at the Hawks and everything runs through Trey Young, like they have they have Ben Simmons and Matisse Thibel, who should easily be able to stop Trey Young. Just from a pure size and defensive intensity point of view, and then on defense, they should be able to attack him every time with the size and the length that they have on the floor at any point in time. The Sixers are so big versus what everything the Hawks have. Mm-hmm. But again, it's just a lack of, I don't know if it's aggression or lack of like focus or la- like they sh- this game shouldn't have been close in my opinion. And it was. Yeah. Uh, and I, I just don't get it. It was like watching a Laker game where you go, man, we're so much more talented. Why aren't we just taking it to them? I don't know if you felt this way. I I did kind of feel that way, but I also think the Hawks are just they have a lot of firepower themselves like with They both. do, but I don't think I don't think it's the same. I think the Again, this could be my biases too. I think the Sixers are at a different level. They are. And it shouldn't be close. They I like I said, I picked the Sixers in 5. I wouldn't be surprised if it was a close competitive 5, but um yeah, the problem with attacking Trey, it was a, it's the same thing. We, I think, I think Doc Rivers, I think he should do this, but his lack of creativity probably won't. I think he should start George Hill instead of Danny Green because they put Trey Young on Danny Green, and you really can't run stuff like getting Trey Young on a switch with someone like. I mean, we should, but Ben Simmons will look to pass first instead of score, although he was aggressive in this game. It really depends on Simmons' aggression. Um, the The Hawks can hide Trey Young easier with this team. There's really there's a lot of average perimeter creators on the Sixers, so we can attack Trey Young, and I would like to see that, but I would like to see we probably need to change the starting lineup. I would probably put George Hill in just to get us another ball handler and somebody who could take Trey Young off the dribble and make him pay on the defensive end. But um, I just think also our defense was just – our defensive coverage was terrible. I really do think, like, this. a lot of this game was on Doc. Like, I know the bench played bad, but the bench should not have – an all-bench lineup should not have been out there in the first place. Ha- asking Tyrese Ma- Maxey to lead a playoff bench unit in – the round two of the playoffs were in a, a far against a far better team. That's just not going to cut it. And 
hopefully the adjustments are made. If the Sixers lose this series, barring like, you know, if Joel Embiid is there, the Sixers should beat this team. Is it blowing up time? No, it's not blowing up time. <laughs> <laughs> Although I want to see, I want to monitor the Dame situation. Not going to lie. Yeah, I'm, the Dame situation is the most interesting to me, and I don't know where he's going or if he's going. I think, I think, think, think he's going to stay. I, did you yeah, see Neil O'Shea's? Did you did you see Neil O'Shea's press conference today? If I, I was Damian Lillard, I would want out. Did you see the yeah. he threw he threw Terry Stotts under the bus? He said the the defense wasn't a uh, wasn't a byproduct of the roster. Well, what was it, my guy? Because that sounded like a direct shot at Terry Stotts. And also, you think a three guard lineup wasn't the problem of why your guys' defense was so poor? Robert Covington is not a defensive stopper. He's not a one-on-one stopper. He's a great team defender. Nurk, yeah, he's solid defensively, but you could beat him in space. Like, Damian Lillard and CJ McCollum's too small of a backcourt. Like, that man looked into the camera and said the next coach is going to have most of this roster back and have a great offense. You and guys need to figure is, out the defense. As soon as you – as soon as as – a, as a candidate, as you – as soon as you have – you see that press conference, like – I don't want to go there. Yeah, exactly. If you're a coach, you're just like, well, that guy doesn't have my back. Like, I feel bad for Blazers fans, man. Like, that, that, I like honesty and stuff, and especially because pressers like that, you really just get generic, boring answers. But, man, those quotes told me a lot about, um, you about know. About their internal, internal what structure. Their internal, what their internal thinking is. If I was yeah. Dame, I would honestly, I, I love Portland. Um, I, the fan base there is one of the best fan bases that in, in any sport, but man, Dame Lillard needs to, uh, request a trade. And funny enough, if you're talking about, you know, if the worst case scenario were to happen in the Sixers flame out, like I always stated this, but the only trades I would make where it involved trading, trading away Simmons are the players that are just above the, that are just the tier above Simmons as like a starting point in a trade. So like Harden and Lillard falls into that category. Like if Damian Lillard becomes available and Maury tries to finagle a way to, to pry him away and dangle Simmons, I wouldn't, I would do that. That, that, yeah. that's one of those, it's another rare circumstance that ca- that comes up where you would do that. Yeah. And the ages aren't too far off where you go. We're trading for old, old man here. Yeah. Like Damian Lillard's um, 31. Um, I know his contract goes to his age 34 season, but I mean, I believe in the hard worker that he is. I mean, he's gotten better every and plus, year. Again, it, it's like the Chris Paul situation where his, his game isn't predicated on athleticism. So he nope. could probably play for a real long time. Yeah, exactly. And I would, I would absolutely do that, do that deal. Yeah. hundred percent. Um, but man, those yeah, Neil O'Shea quotes, man. <laughs> yeah. It's a, uh, it's pretty rough. And then plus the, I don't know what's going on with the Jason Kidd stuff. That was weird too. Yeah, that um, that was weird. And then he pulled his name out of the yeah. candidacy that apparently they like there was there was no candidate list. It was there's just, someone there's it was someone Damian trying Lillard. to save Jason. It was Damian Lillard basically saying he he told Chris Haynes that he would like Jason Kidd or Chauncey Billups as the yeah. uh, as the head coach and that was it. But I think you know, a lot of one Jason Kidd uh, has past domestic violence issues, but two, he's just a he's a terrible coach, and um, yeah, I just don't understand why he's still considered a candidate. He almost tanked the but the Giannis era before it started. Yeah, for sure. So, I guess we're wrap, we're wrapping up a little bit here because I have to go soon, but uh, I do I do want to talk about this Nets Bucks series because I think it's really interesting. 
Yeah. Uh, well, it kind of man, that took a damper out of things when Harden just straight up walked out of game yeah. one, like pulled his hamstring, and as soon as, as soon as it happened, he was like, "All right, I'm dipping." Like that, my hamstring hurts. It was like, man, like that that took the air out of the series a little bit. But I'm still interested. Yeah, I, I don't know if you're watching now, uh, but I have the game on in the is, background. Durant is cooking. You know people. me. The uh, Durant is cooking people right now, dude. I look. I know. You know, every season the top ten players can change and fluctuate, but I like having bodies of work. I like including bodies of work, like re- of recent history, in my top ten players or my top five, whatever. I do tiers now. Like when Kevin Durant's healthy, like he's in the argument for best player in the world. Like this guy is an incredible basketball player, man. He's one of my favorite players of all time. He's the greatest Twitter account of all time. He was ahead of his time with Twitter back in 2010. <laughs> like Kevin Durant's awesome, and he's melting the Bucks right now. Yeah. But um, what what is catching your eyes about? What what are you looking for in this series? What's catching your eye about this series? So looking deeper into it, I actually like the matchups for the Bucks. I do too. Uh, they were getting like, a bunch of pain points in Game One. It's just Bud went away from it. Classic. Yeah, I I mean to me, I love the I love how this how this these matchups work in terms of like when you first look at it, you're like, dude, Harden, Kyrie, Durant, how do you stop them? Mm-hmm. And then you watch them, and you go and you watch like you watch it and you go, well, I mean they have Drew Hall- they have Drew Holiday on Kyrie, you have Giannis on KD, and then you can have like a team effort of like Middleton and you know a whole bunch of guys on Harden. And if Harden's out, then like yeah, okay, then that your matchups actually match up really really well. Uh, there's still a lot of situations where Giannis just doesn't know how to play basketball, strangely enough, uh, where you, you're just like, you know, like, go. Oh, I don't know if you, I saw that in game one. He, there, there are a lot of situations where you're like, dude, just turn the corner and you can just go to the basket. And he, he's stopping and trying to, like, there's a lot of hesitation. And you're like, man, he, Giannis can get some real easy buckets here. If you can just kind of give him a move and go to the basket. But he's stopping, and he's getting stopped pretty easily in terms of, like, going downhill. And you're like, man, I feel like you could just go around someone. Like, if you just make a quick move or something else, I feel like these are easy easy scores. Um, maybe I'm looking too much into it. Maybe I'm looking at it wrong. I don't know. I think, I I, I think well, because in game, Giannis had 34 points and shot from, like, six. He shot 16 to 24 from the field. I thought he was getting downhill. I just think the Bucks stopped going towards it i also think the bucks made a mistake starting pj tucker instead of just uh i i think um maybe you stick with bryn forbes or something like that um to bring tucker off the bench but um i get you want to have a minute and innings eater for the durant defender but um i thought the bucks were uh, brooke lopez and Giannis were getting easy shots in the paint all night it's just that chris middleton and drew holiday they they faded in this game. Like Drew yes, Holiday was bad. Chris Middleton was bad. Also, he shot six of twenty-three, and the Bucks were just missing. But I actually thought Giannis and Lopez were the only bright spots because the Nets have nobody to you know match the girth of Lopez or match the physicality or strength of Giannis. I I I think actually it was the opposite. I thought it was more so the perimeter players that 
didn't show up. And also, I don't think the Bucks ran their stuff like normal. Yeah. Like, it was well, a I, lot don't, more... I don't think. I... So to clarify, I don't put this on Giannis. Oh yeah, no, like, I'm not saying that. I'm, I'm just saying not, I don't. I didn't I'll, see the downhill just, like, stuff. When I when I watch him, I just go, like it's like it's like anything, right? Like you, when you watch Giannis, you see the potential, you see the you see the possibilities, and like your brain goes into the atmosphere, and you're like, man, if he could only learn like two moves, it's like when I used to watch Dwight Howard, and you go, man, if Dwight could learn like three post moves, it's over. Yeah, I think. I think he's gotten. I think Giannis has gotten better with the uh, basketball stuff of it this year. I think he's added stuff around yeah. the edges. Um, he's but, getting really. He's getting better, but he's still not there to the point where, like, dude, if you put LeBron's, if you put LeBron's brain in Giannis's body, it's yeah. over. Well, yeah, you could you could say that about any. Oh my god, man, and that th- this is the other thing too. Th- Blake Griffin just had a dunk. Like Blake Griffin out of nowhere, just finessing all of detroit <laughs> blake griffin just finessed the entire city of detroit yeah thinking that he blake was griffin. thinking that he blake was griffin injured did. hadn't dunked since 2019 then he comes blake to the griffin nets a, blake griffin did a call the police call 911 but not for me but not for, but not for me like this guy is hitting threes he's playmaking he's in the dunker spot elevating like it's old blake griffin like the Nets yeah, are dude, supreme. Uh, the, did you ever watch Uncle Drew? No, I didn't watch Uncle Drew. No. <laughs> so Uncle in Uncle Drew, there's a there's a character. It's Nate Robinson's character, mm. and he's in a wheelchair the entire time. Yep. And he can't walk, and he's like comatose. He doesn't talk, and uh, he's having trouble. And the I think his his granddaughter's there, and she's like, yeah, he hasn't walked in 20 years or whatever. And then uh, Uncle Drew hands him his old pair of shoes. And he puts them on, and he gets up and starts dunking. <laughs> it's like dudes like that. Blake Gri- Blake Griffin put on his like Mike shoes. He <laughs> did like Blake. <laughs> and the, yeah, uh, yeah, he's kind of re- he's kind of had a revival. Not not gonna lie, like he's become pretty important. I think it's one of those things where if you get a vet to go to a team that'll win. I think they get motivated again. I think Nick Batum yeah. actually Nick Batum had some great moments for the Clippers last series. Like he had a few Man, dunks still, in I game still, seven. I still think it's so funny to me that the Clippers are starting Nick Batum. Yeah. Because <laughs> he was like the worst contract in the league like two years ago. Yeah. And I, again, to me, if if Nick Batum is like your third most important player, I think you got some trouble. You think <laughs> but, what? You know, he, I think if Nick Batum is like your third most important player, I think you're getting some trouble. Yeah, but uh, <laughs> you know, yeah, I, yeah. I, uh, I'm I'm happy that he's been able to at least somewhat revitalize his career too. But uh, I do want to do want to ask before we get going: Do you feel like the Nets have enough interior defense to win a championship, especially with guys like Gobert and Jokic and Embiid still in the mix? I think hmm, I think the Nets could absolutely. Claxton's coming on. I think I think the, I think the Knicks could or the Knicks. I think the Nets could absolutely win the championship. I mean, I know that's not a hot take or whatever, yeah. but I really just I really don't think that stuff matters because the Nets have showed so far that they could play stretches of defense where if they like get like three or four stops in a row, they just have so much offensive talent, yeah. even with Harden down. Like 
it's a little bit different when Harden's down because I really do think Harden is the one that stirs the drink. Like he sets up the table for everybody. I don't. Yeah. Durant and Irving, they in can play. Of, they can of, play make, with, but they're not like the classic playmaker. No, with when Harden's not in there, it turns into the uh, into the Iverson Carmelo Nuggets, where it's just your turn, my turn. But the crazy thing is, like their ball movement is still crisp, like. Yeah. In game one, does, like they had some it possessions. Does turn into, it it like, does turn into your turn, my turn. It does you turn into your turn, my up. turn. But like off of that, your turn. Off of that, like somebody will double Durant, right? And Durant will find yeah. an easy read, and then the ball starts popping and stuff like that. It's yeah. a different kind of my turn, your turn. But it's definitely different than when Harden is is not in there because Harden gets into the creases. He he has the vision. He sees everybody. He knows, like he knows to get like bench players a shot if they've been working hard in the in a game. It'd be like I need to give Landry Shamit a shot here, and blah blah blah. Yeah, and the and the Nets have. I keep wanting to say Knicks. Um, the Nets have. Um, the Nets have you know solid bench pieces too. Like Mike James comes off the bench out of nowhere and has a great game one. Uh, Landry Shamit has a poster dunk on Drew Holiday. Like the Nets have talent every, and then we can't forget about one of the best players in the world, Bruce Brown. Um, yeah. <laughs> but, uh, the, but I will the Nets say, just I will have say, talent I will everywhere. say Nick, Nick Claxton has really grown on me. I really yeah. like that kid. Nick Claxton is – he's awesome. He's an awesome player for sure. But I think the Nets do have – I don't think interior defense will really matter for the Nets I just, unless it's someone against like Embiid or Jokic, you know, because like those guys will foul your whole team out. Like it's not yeah. just being a post presence – or being a bear on the offensive glass. It's can you handle those two big dudes on the block because they have a scoring bag that's really deep? And can you stay out of foul trouble against the, those guys who are bigger and stronger than your entire team put together? I guess that would be the question. But I think if you look at all the other teams in uh, across the playoffs, the Nets should be favored. And I honestly think the Clippers and the Jazz should feel good about the landscape right now. Yeah. I, I think Sixers to be determined because if Embiid is healthy, I take the Sixers out of the East. We have a shot, man, but it's going to depend on how that knee reacts. And also, I'm just scared. I guess if this if this was any year to be aggressive with Embiid, this is a this would be the year to do it because we have a legit shot at a championship. But it, there's also that scary part of like. Would you trade? Okay, this is bad. This is a bad question, and I'm gonna we're gonna end it here. Oh boy! Because I feel, all right. <laughs> this is a bad question, and I feel like I shouldn't ask it, but I'm gonna ask it anyway. Would you trade the rest of Embiid's career, like at 100 percent, for a championship year? No. Like if if you if if you go, Embiid's never gonna be 100 percent again, but he'll still be okay. But he'll never be like the superstar again. But you'll no. win a chip. No. Okay. I enjoy watching. I enjoy watching this. Uh, you know, you come to you come to <laughs> as morbid as it sounds. You come to take everything with Embiid. The day to days. The uh, the day to day injury updates. The um, it's like Anthony Davis, man. You learn it. You learn the, to live with it. You learn to live with it. Him falling every game. Like I knew. I knew in game four 
as soon as it went the play and beat hurt his knee, he caught the ball in transition and I knew what he was going to do. I knew he was going to try to blow past Robin Lopez and try to dunk on him. And I was like, don't do it. You're going to fall. You're going to fall on your ass. And what did he do? He tried to dunk on Robin Lopez. He fell because, you know, after you watch your team for a long time, yeah, you know, you know what he's going to do. He fell on his ass. What played? He actually played for like four more minutes after that. Played for the rest of the first, uh, played for the like a few more minutes after that. Went into the back. All of a sudden, out of nowhere, it's knee soreness, and it's like, yeah. it, like I think sometimes Embiid also, like you don't want to tell a player to scale back his aggression because that's what makes him great, right? But he's got to be smarter with that. Like he wasn't going. Yeah. You knew Robin Lopez was going to be right there to try and contest it, and you know not try to let you dunk on him like don't try that like we need you big fella like because look at how they dominated the wizards before that game like i was they were answering i know it's the wizards but they were answering early questions that i had with flying colors like they were playing like we are the better team we're gonna stomp you guys and Embiid was playing like it too and it's a shame man because his only healthy playoff run was last year when they got swept by the Celtics. Um, yeah, and he and where he was gassed because he couldn't like he, he was couldn't carry he couldn't he carry back. four power forwards with him. <laughs> <laughs> like he was like, uh, it, it, I feel bad for the guy. He really, yeah. He he's health is. I truly believe health is the only thing holding him back from being the best player in the world. Full stop. Because what do you do with him? He has the bag of a he has the bag of a guard on the block he has the face-up game of a two-guard on the block along with the brute strength of Shaq Shaq-ish I'm not gonna say Shaq all the way but you know what I mean he'll back yeah. anybody down and just dunk on them like that's how physically dominant he is but he has the bag of a of a guard step backs all that stuff and he's an impactful player on the defensive end like health is the only thing holding this guy back and I just I want to see healthy and beat for a long time because he's really become my second favorite player in the franchise behind Allen Iverson. Probably Andre Iguodala's in there. You could tell I'm a Sixer fan by just listing off Andre Iguodala. Look at the mediocrity we had in the middle of the 2000s. <laughs> and that's, that's why we tanked. Like, it's not a long history here. I'm enjoying the Embiid stuff, but it does suck. I want him to be healthy. Yeah, no, I'm totally with you. And it's it's sort of the same thing where I, I, I can watch AD at this point and know like, oh fuck, he's gonna do this thing and he's gonna hurt himself. Yeah. Like he's gonna go he's gonna go for this block and he's gonna land funny and then oh, here we go. Like the big like the the big man doing the chase down LeBron block, that is awesome. That is an incredible feat of athleticism that it's someone of that terrifying. size Yeah, that someone of that size of eighty or Embiid can do it. Stop doing it. <laughs> like, yes. Like Again, it, it, I, I equate it. I equate it to the quarterback sliding in football. Like, hey, could you get an extra yard if you dive head first? Yes. yes. Is it worth it? No, dude. No. Just slide. Just slide. Just you know, let just you know, run faster or beat him to the spot earlier. But please don't do the chase down block. Like, yeah, just slide or get out of bounds. Yeah, or hey, like, just let him dunk. It's two points. Now, if you pull it off and don't get hurt, it's an awesome play. But still, like, the process of it, I hate it. The process of all of it. <laughs> Dude, it's like, again, you and I now have this shared understanding of who Danny Green is as a player at this point. <laughs> oh, yeah. I, but, but Yeah, like, he, had, you, he, had the, he had the classic Danny Green playoff game yesterday where he didn't make anything, and he got fried by Trey Young. 
So Well, he also missed two very clutch three-pointers that could have changed the game entirely. Yeah, yeah. I just know he's going to make a big corner three for us, though. He's hit. He's done it too many times. Like, I with mean, the Raptors, he did. But see, Jordan, how many, how many pump, weird f- drive-in floaters... I don't want to see it, that. <laughs> is it wor- is worth the, the clutch play? <laughs> I would... Well, I mean... He's the only, like, not that he's the only option out there. It's just you want somebody you, in the playoffs at that point. You want Foxhole guys in your rotation. And I I think his def, his help defense and his spacing that he provides in Bede and Simmons, like, that's just too important. Um, I can live with the missed threes. I don't, I don't think Doc did him any favors sticking him on Trey Young. I don't think that should have been the matchup from the beginning because we all kind of know Danny is long in the tooth in terms of one-on-one defense. Um, but yeah, he's going to have a few, he's going to have a few Danny green games where he's going to go over from three, but I know he's going to have games where he's going to make like three contested threes and it's going to be, he's going to be ridiculous with it. So he's an overall positive player, but I'm going to take the good with the bad with Danny green, because I think he's uh, very important. Yeah, man. The, uh, the, the pump, the pump layup is, uh... but yeah, no, the pump fake in that weird little flick floater that he does where both yeah. his legs go out in different directions. Like I'm good on that. <laughs> All right. So yeah. Uh, before we go, Jordan, any predictions for how these series are going to go? We have the, uh, what is this? Four series left in the playoffs so far. Okay. Do you have any- so before the Sixers series, before the two Eastern Conference semifinal series, I wanted to go with the Bucks in uh, in the Nets series, but I just went with Nets in six. Yeah, um, I just think at the end of the day they have too much offensive firepower. And um, I would have said Nets in six after watching Game One. I said Nets in five. Mm. But you know, um, I think the Nets are going to win that series. I think Sixers. Um, without Embiid, Sixers and seven. With Embiid, it would be Sixers and five. And then the two Western Conference series, I'm really looking forward to. I'm going with, ooh, man. Um, you know, I'm going to go, so I'm going to go Nuggets and six. Wow. I'm going Nuggets and six. I think Jokic is going to take a sledgehammer to the Suns. I don't think the Sun. DeAndre Ayton's going to make Jokic work like he has been in their matchups during the regular season. But beyond that, I think the Nugget, uh, the Nuggets will get Will Barton back. Um, Michael Porter Jr. still really – he was really good in the last series. I think while the Suns will have an advantage at guard, obviously with Booker and Chris Paul, I still need want to see what Chris Paul looks like. Hopefully Chris Paul can get a little bit healthier. I just think Jokic is on one of these runs right now where no one can stop him. And if he gets everything going, I think the not even the Suns could stop Jokic. So I'm going Nuggets in six. And then I'm going Clippers in six, actually. And it's not because I don't believe in Utah. I think Utah could come out of the West just as easily as any other of the four teams. But I think with the Lakers gone, I do think there's a little bit of that Clippers smell, the uh, greener grass on the other side. Like, hey, maybe we have a chance to come out of the West. I also think the Clippers have the uh, personnel to match with the Jazz and what they do. Uh, Gobert is going to be really big in this series for the Jazz's prospects because, you know, the Clippers are going to be small. And I know 
Gobert's defensive flaws are a little bit overblown, but it, there is a reason why people talk about it because you can get Gobert out in space. Like Draymond said on TNT, who's been great, by the way, as an analyst, you want to dictate the terms for a great defensive player like Gobert. We're going to make you defend where you're most uncomfortable defending. And that's the perimeter. So I think the Clippers will look to exploit that. And also, I just think they have Kawhi Leonard and Paul George. So, and I think that matters in this series more than the last series. So I got Cl- so I got Clippers in six in that one. Okay. So I am. I have the East. I have the same as you. So I have I have Nets and I have Nets and Sixers. Um, but I do have I have Suns in six and I have Jazz in seven. Oh. Okay, going with that. Uh, th- so the Utah slander will. You think the Utah slander will be put off for another round? Yeah. I again. I don't. I just. I don't like the Clippers' depth at all. And I like outside of Kawhi and Paul George. Like I just don't trust anyone else on their team. And I trust Rondo actually quite a bit. I think. He's okay. Yeah, good. I, I, do, I, I take that back. I do trust Rondo, but. To me, it, it just their team doesn't seem cohesive. It doesn't seem like they played. Their games always look really disjointed. Yeah. Um. They're when I when I watch the Jazz, the Jazz seem like they're always in a flow. Again, interior interior wise, like I, the Jazz can get easy buckets on the Clippers defensively. I just you know, I I think they just get easy buckets, um, using size and using you know good spacing. Which the Clippers tend to struggle with for some again. I don't. I, the Clippers have so many issues where I just don't know what they are. Like they shouldn't function the way they they the way you, when you watch their games, you're like, how do they win anything? And then and they show you like a good quarter or stretch where you're like, oh okay, here they are. But it's just so inconsistent, it's so weird. And going against a team like the Jazz that are so consistent at what they do, I'm I'm leaning towards going giving them the series in seven. But I think it'll be close. Oh yeah, it'll um, be close. I think any, like I said, any of these, you could talk me into any of these, te- uh, any of the Western teams winning their series. Yeah, but, yeah, for but, sure. But yeah, the West is far more interesting than the East at this point, um, mm-hmm. in my mind. And they did the, uh, 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 yeah. The, if the but I was looking forward to the Bucks Net series because I thought it was going to be a classic. It's not. But Bud came out and is doing it. I have to watch the first half again, but Bud is doing the same stuff that he did in Game One. So, um, yeah, th- now you—that's th- why the score is what it is right now. Yeah. Uh, so we're in the we're in the, just so, just so you're aware. I'm looking at the numbers right now. Uh, we're at halftime at Bucks Nets Game Two. Giannis has only played 18 minutes. Here's what I here's here's the temperature. And they're down. They're down 24. Here's a temperature of Twitter right now. Uh, Taylor Rooks just tweeted, it might be time to have a dialogue about Budenholzer. Bucks Twitter, free, yeah. or Kyle Newbeck of Philly Voice. Man, if this series is supposed to be one of the best we get in the playoffs, we are big time doomed. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> uh, I, uh, I'm not entirely sure what's going on here. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, eight, nine. They played nine people in the first half. Yeesh. Uh, yeah, I'm gonna have to look at this. Watch not the second like, half not like, hey, someone came in for a minute. Pat Connaughton has played seven minutes in this game. Bobby Portis has played nine minutes in this game. Brent Forbes has played fifteen minutes. Oof. Giannis another, has played eighteen minutes. Another, Brent Forbes has played fifteen minutes. Yeah, another another tweet. 
today's lesson is that taking the harder route to a championship is for suckers. <laughs> I hope, don't get hope, it. Hope Bud still know how to use his job interview voice. Bro, I'm... I don't know what's going on, bro. But, uh, yeah, you should get out of here. You got to do a bunch of gambling and all that stuff. <laughs> you degenerate you it all up in the, the city. All right, guys. So thanks for watching. <laughs> thanks for listening. Uh, I'm Crystal Kamora. Jordan Christmas. We'll be back next week with more, uh, hopefully, jazz slander uh, than we had this week. Because we're a little light on the jazz slander this week, Jordan. We missed, we missed um, out on firing up the Clippers pack. That would have been an all-time night for jokes. The Clippers just avoided the meme void. <laughs> It was. It, they did. But uh, yeah, so thanks you guys for listening, and I'll see you guys The BOB.